When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. This is episode 41 of the podcast. I'm your host, Chris Peters, and this is a quick and dirty version of the Talking Hockey Sense podcast as we have much to get to today, most notably the beginning of the NCAA National Tournament, the men's tournament, the road to the men's Frozen Four in Boston is about to get underway. If you're listening to this, it's probably the day of the first day of the tournament, or maybe the tournament's already begun, so you might already have a few results. But it will begin on Thursday, March 24th, and there are some great games to get us kicked off. So it's just going to be me on the podcast today. I'm going to run through the entire tournament, each region, give you some thoughts on all of the teams that are playing, and certainly uh, some of my thoughts on, on who I think will make it to the next round make it to the Frozen Four, and I'll even give you a national championship pick, which uh, should be interesting. But before I do that, I want to direct you, as always, if you haven't before, please subscribe to the podcast on any of your podcast apps of choice. Uh, Make sure you do that and leave a rating and a review. Uh, It really helps us get the word out, and I've gotten some really nice reviews over the last couple of weeks, so I really appreciate that, everybody that has done that. Um, But it does help get the word out if you would leave a written review and a kind five-star rating uh, as that helps get the word out. And then on top of that, if you really want to help support the work of independent media, go to hockeysense.substack.com. Sign up for a free seven-day trial and take a look around the website and see if you would prefer... Uh, a one-year subscription or a monthly subscription to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. That's hockeysense.substack.com. If you subscribe to that website, it does support a lot of the work that I do. It helps fund the trips that I take for uh, evaluations and giving you a lot of the different news and notes from around the hockey world that I'm able to provide both on the podcast and on the website. So if you could please go ahead and do that, that would be great. I am currently coming to you live from my hotel room in Kitchener, Ontario, as I'm getting prepared to go to the CHL Top Prospects game. I'll have many thoughts about that in a forthcoming podcast, uh, but very excited to be back in Canada for the first time since the pandemic. So it's kind of funny. I'm I'm, I'm straddling the two worlds of prospect uh, writing, at least in North America, because I'm going to cover some major junior hockey and then also getting ready for the NCAA. Uh, So we've got a lot going on there, but we do have some questions from readers that include the NHL draft in addition to college hockey. So this isn't a college hockey only podcast, uh, though that will be the main focus because the NCAA tournament is quite frankly one of the most entertaining and fun things I get to cover annually. Um, This year, keep in mind, that there will be a day between games at each regional. So that is something that is new this year. Usually it would be back-to-back games. The coaches have been long wanting that day break so that you get the best product on the ice, and that way you're not overloading the games. And and also it takes some of the attention away from those regional finals as well, though that last step 
to go to the Frozen Four, you've got other games overlapping with it that are to get to the next round. So uh, it certainly makes sense. It's not the best in terms of a ticket sales and getting a lot of people to go to the games thing, but really at this point, the regionals tend not to be very well attended anyway. So uh, that is something to keep in mind. But we are going to talk a lot about that tournament. I'm going to run through it starting now and also answer some of your questions. And if I sound rushed, it's because I'm recording this about an hour before I'm supposed to leave for this game and I need to kind of get through it pretty quickly. So hopefully that'll be all right for you because that's basically the way that I have to do it at this point. But anyway, moving on to what I'm really excited about here in this tournament and We'll start off with the Thursday regionals, the games that will be played on Thursday, March 24th, and that starts with the number four, or sorry, that starts with the number two overall seed, Minnesota State taking on Harvard, a great game right off the bat at noon Eastern on ESPNU, the Minnesota State Mavericks, the champions of the CCHA. I have a whole breakdown of that fiasco from that CCHA championship where Minnesota State essentially won the game twice. They had an earlier goal that was ruled not to be a goal, but it was about an hour after the goal actually was scored. The trophy had been handed out. One of the craziest things I've ever seen in hockey. Not the best start for the CCHA in their postseason, but in the end, they made the right decision in terms of that goal that it shouldn't have been counted, and then Minnesota State ended up winning. There's a lot of controversy in how they arrived at that decision, the time it took to get there, and if they may have violated NCAA rules in the process. The, the rules are governed, the gameplay rules and re video replay rules are governed by the NCAA, and there is a chance that the CCHA will have to deal with some punishment. I'm not exactly sure how you punish a conference. That's part of the thing about the NCAA. Oversight is very... Uh, confusing at times. But anyway, getting back to the game at hand, the first regional game that we will see on ESPNU is that Minnesota State versus Harvard. Harvard won the ECAC by and, uh, beating Quinnipiac in overtime. And Matthew Coronado has been on an absolute tear. Ten points in five games through the ECAC playoffs. So he'll be a player to watch. The Cal uh, Calgary Flames first-round draft pick from the last draft has really come on strong this year, especially late in the season. Uh, but they also have Nick Abrazizi. They have Sean Farrell. They have Alex Laferriere, the, the rookie of the year in the ECAC. Um, you know, really good mobile puck-moving defenseman like Henry Thurun. Um, you know, so I, I think that this is going to be a very difficult game for Minnesota State. But at the same time, the reason that I think that the Mavericks will end up winning this one is that as good offensively as Minnesota State is, or as, as Harvard is, as skilled as they are, as quick as they are, Minnesota State is one of the most disciplined, physical, grinding teams in the entire country. They only allow about 18 shots against per game. It's going to be very difficult for Harvard to get to the middle of the net. Minnesota State is bigger, they're stronger, they're older, they're a bit meaner. Um, and you also have to remember that Harvard didn't play last year, so half of their team is essentially first-year players. So I think the Crimson are going to have their hands full with you know Jake Livingstone and Nathan Smith and Dryden McKay um, and all the, the really great players that Minnesota State has. And, and, and they've got guys that can score, they've got players that can shut you down, and then they have an elite goaltender in Dryden McKay who's the all-time shutouts leader in NCAA history. So in that game, um, if you're following along on your bracket, I would move Minnesota State to that regional final, um, which uh, should be a, a dandy because we've got another great game. Um, really, this this Albany regional, and there is a question about what I think the toughest uh, regional is, and I'll get to that later. Uh, but boy, is this a tough one because you've got North Dakota and Notre Dame um, in the other side of the bracket. That game at 6 p.m. on Thursday on ESPNU. And North Dakota-Notre Dame 
haven't played in 10 years, but they are going to find, you know, they could feel like they're looking in the mirror a little bit. I don't think that Notre Dame has always had the high-end scoring talent, but they've always been a great defensive team and they have outstanding goaltending. The same for North Dakota. I mean, this year they don't have the horses up front. They don't have the Jordan Kawaguchis. They don't have the Brock Bessers and, you know, players of that that caliber that, that are able to... Um, you know, really move forward, uh, move, you know, be that go-to goal scorer that you can just basically point to and, and have, you know, send over the boards. And so I think that that's where things, things really even out between these two teams because Notre Dame is so stingy defensively. Um, you know, you look at the way that they played Michigan this year. You now, Michigan's skill had a real hard time with Notre Dame's speed, their grit. I think Notre Dame plays the game fast. I think they play it physical. Um, they've got a lot of good older talent and then their goaltending with Ryan Bischel and Matthew Galeta and Galeta probably getting the nod here as, as he's been so good down the stretch for the Irish and, you know, beating Minnes Michigan. And, and, and even though they didn't end up, you know, advancing through the, uh, the big to the big 10 final as Michigan was able to get through them, uh, to get there. Um, before that, you know, in the regular season, they really dominated that series. So really impressed with the Irish, and I think North Dakota is going to have to be careful um, with that one. And actually, I am going to go with Notre Dame to advance out of this game. And part of that has to do with North Dakota not having their number one defenseman. We are not expecting Jake Sanderson to be available for the Fighting Hawks in this game. If he somehow miraculously does become available, that changes the dynamic of the game because he's that good of a player that I think you could, you know, he, he can turn the tide of a game on his own. Um, but I do think that this will be Notre Dame's game uh, to lose. They have, uh, they're very underrated in terms of their speed and the skill level that they do have. They have guys like Ryder Rolson and Max Ellis who have really come on strong this season. Spencer Stasny is a great puck-moving defenseman from the back end. He's really been defending well. So I, I think that that's going to make it difficult. And you look at the grit and determination they have. You know, Landon and Graham Slaggard are going to make it really difficult for any op- opposing forward or, or opposing defenseman when they're in on the forecheck. I mean, they've got uh, the Janicki brothers as well that, that can play that gritty, speedy style. So I think that Notre Dame is is kind of that sneaky team that you should definitely be watching out for if you are any of the teams across the tournament. So I've got the Irish advancing to play Minnesota State. And in that region... I will have the Minnesota State Mavericks going to their second straight Frozen Four. I think that their defensive capabilities are such that they shut everybody down. It's just really difficult to get through against them. Um, they have they they can score in a variety of different ways. Nathan Smith is such a skilled player, uh, but then you've got guys like uh, you know Ryan, Ryan Sandlin, who was the hero in the last uh, regional for them and scoring an overtime goal. And 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 you know the fact that he's Scott Sandlin's son at, at Minnesota Duluth, the head coach there. You know, the style that he plays, I mean, you'd fit right in uh, at Minnesota Duluth, but here he is at Minnesota State and and thriving as a goal scorer for them. Um, so I just think that they're just too gritty, too too big, too physical, too mean, um, and just too disciplined. I mean, they play great team defense. So I've got Minnesota State coming out of Al- Albany, or Albany, however you want to say it, however you want to pronounce it. Also on Thursday, the top-seeded Matchup in that bracket is at 9 p.m. on ESPNU, so I'm going a little bit out of order here, but Denver is playing UMass Lowell, and Denver is one of the best offensive teams in the country. They have the best offensive line in the country with Bobby Brink, who very well could win the Hobie Baker this year. He's leading the country with 55 points, averaging over a point or almost a point and a half per game. He's on a line with Cole Gutman and Carter Savoy, and that is a lot of skill and a lot of speed. What they failed to do against Minnesota Duluth, I was at the NCHC Frozen Faceoff, and 
Minnesota Duluth ended up shutting out Denver, really shut them down. They, they had a real hard time getting to the interior. And if you can't do that at this stage of the season, you're going to have a hard time winning hockey games. So I think that's going to be a focus for Denver going in. I think they learned a lot about themselves in that loss to Minnesota Duluth, and they're not going to allow that to happen to them because they're going to play a, a UMass Lowell team that can play a very grinding style that they'll try to slow you down. They've got a good goaltender in Owen Savory. They've got skill up front. You know, they've got two NHL draft picks on their roster, both Kings prospects, Andre Lee and Ben Meehan. Lee is a big forward that can score. Meehan, a good defensive defenseman that can really make make it things difficult for you to try to get through. I like both of those players quite a bit. I think they both have an opportunity to jump into that Kings organization down the line and, you know, maybe find themselves a role. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the depth that, that Denver has and the, that it's not just that top line that can beat you, they've got the grit and determination of, of a guy like a Carter Mazur who also had close to a point per game this season. They've got excellent puck movers on the backhand and Sean Barons and Michael Benning that can just, they're so skilled, they can dominate shifts, they can control the puck, that makes a big difference. If you get the goaltending out of Magnus Krona, you got a real opportunity to win your hockey games because odds are it's going to be very difficult for teams to hold you to three or fewer goals. And that's basically the goal at this point. Try to make sure that don't let Denver get on the board three times because they're probably going to beat you in that case. Um, and they can outscore their problems. That's the other thing is if you get into a foot race with them, if you get into a, a shootout, you are going to be in big trouble because Denver can really score it up. So I've got Denver winning that matchup, even though I think UMass Lowell is going to give them all they can handle in that one. At 3 p.m. on Thursday on ESPNU, you'll be able to watch Minnesota Duluth against Michigan Tech and, and the Huskies. They got in here on their own. They didn't need the auto bid, even though they play the CCHA. It's that you know the weaker of the of the conferences, but they had the pairwise to get in. They had the, the you know they they managed to do it. They're a tough team to play against. They've got good experience. Brian Hallinan is a top ten Hobie Baker finalist. Uh, Trenton Bliss is a guy that that is getting NHL interest at this point as an undrafted free agent. They're going to play tough. But when we're talking about you know postseason hockey, how do you not look at the way that Minnesota Duluth plays and just it has to scare the daylights out of anybody that finds them on their schedule? I wrote about it a little bit there. You know, I I, I wrote about it in the the most recent Hockey Sense newsletter, which you can see at HockeySense.substack.com, and again a seven day free trial available if you click that link. But you look at the way that this team is played overall, um, and and I'd say that they're just. There's no stars, but they are a team. They are they are a team that that wins together, and they will you know they have been very inconsistent over the course of the season. I mean, they were almost below 500 before the postseason began, and that was going to be a real problem. That would have knocked them out of the tournament. But then they go ahead and they shut out Denver, shut out Western Michigan, win the NCHC's playoff title, and once again we're here saying, oh boy. Is this going to happen again for Minnesota Luth? They've got the goaltending in Ryan Fanti. He's been absolutely outstanding. They've got some real talent um, on the back end. Wyatt Kaiser, I think, is one of the better defensemen in the country. He's incredibly mobile. He's going to play massive minutes. He's going to get all the tough matchups. You can rely on him in just about any situation. I think even offensively, his game is starting to come a little bit more. Up front, Noah Cates has been a real driver for them. He's a good two-way player. He doesn't have the points this year that he's had in years past, but he's just so difficult to play against and a guy that you don't want to see coming down on you on the four check because that's what he is so good at so that is another area where boy I gotta tell you this is uh that that's a that's a player that that can give you a lot of problems but then you look at also they've got 
depth. And they've got players like Dominic James, who I think will be drafted this year after his performance this season. He's been a good two-way player for them. He plays on a line with Quinn Olsen and Blake Biondi. And that line as a group, Blake Biondi is having a great season this year. He's really breaking out. He's coming into his own as a college player. Quinn Olsen has got three years of experience. He's just a steady, reliable player who's got skill and a Boston Bruins draft pick. So you got a Bruins pick and a Canadians pick and Biondi. And they make music together on that line. They are so tough to play against. Um, and so that really helps as well. So Minnesota Duluth has that. And then, as I mentioned, Ryan Fanti, the goaltender, again, coming out of nowhere. It always seems like Minnesota Duluth, like, ah, I don't know if they have the goal key, uh, goaltending. And then they they do. They just do. They, they end up having it because that's how they play. So I think that that's going to be really interesting to watch as well to see, does Minnesota Duluth have the goods you know, to compete offensively with teams because there's no question they are going to grind you down. And if you can score three on Minnesota Duluth, you got a chance. If you can't, you probably don't because they're going to find a way uh, to, to, to get those goals. They're very opportunistic, and they are one of the best. Between them and Minnesota State, I think you're looking at two of the best coached and disciplined teams in the country and certainly their teams that make it that play a style that is very grating to their opponents and uh, i got a text from a scout earlier this week and he asked me who is the best coach in college hockey and he knew the answer but he wanted to see if i was going to say it and i said scott sandlin um and he's got the trophies to prove it he's got the team style to prove it every single year and the scout of course agreed and he said he always does more with less and that is absolutely true. So Scott Sandlin, who is currently, you know, he's been under consideration for NHL jobs in the past. And I think maybe one day he may be intrigued enough to go try it. Uh, but for now, he is a, just an exceptional coach for Minnesota Duluth. As for who's going to come out of that regional, it's hard for me to pick against the Bulldogs in the postseason. I think that they are probably the most dangerous of the number two seeds. They are the team that, you know, they've, they've already got that win over Denver. They've shown how you can beat Denver with all their offensive skill. I do think the Pioneers will be better prepared for them this next time around, um, and they'll, they'll, they'll give them a real good shot. But I still think that if I'm looking at who's going to come out of the Loveland Regional, even though it should be a home game as well for Denver, I'm going to say Minnesota Duluth is coming out of there, and they will be playing in Boston once again because they just keep showing up in the Frozen Four. National champions in 2019 and 2018. Uh uh, you know, and and then getting through last year, um, making it to the Frozen Four and falling short. I think you know guys like Noah Cates came back for an opportunity to go for another national title, and it just seems that if you come to Minnesota Duluth, you're playing for championships, and that is, uh, I think that's going to be the case once again this year. Even though you look at that that record of theirs, 21, 15, and four, sure doesn't stand out, especially among the rest of the teams out there. Uh, but still, they had the fifth fifth pairwise ranking despite that unseemly record all right moving on to the friday games and the first game on friday will be at noon on espnu it'll feature western michigan against northeastern and what a fascinating game this will be northeastern just barely gets into the tournament they needed that ccha championship game to go the way that it did minnesota state winning otherwise bemidji state would have gotten in and that would have knocked northeastern out their season would have been over um and that would have been tough for a team that, that played extremely well throughout this year they did not end up getting into the championship game and in hockey east which you know would have given them another opportunity but the huskies are 25 
12 and 1, and they have the best goaltender in the country. Devin Levi, 952 save percentage in 31 games this year. He has uh, you know, 21 wins and uh, 10 shutouts. I mean, the numbers that he's put up this season are, are comparable to that of Ryan Miller in his Hobie Baker season in 2001. And I think that, you know, if you have goaltending, you have a chance. Devin Levi has been outstanding. I don't think that the Northeastern defends well enough as a team necessarily to, to go on a deep run here, but Devin Levi is the, is the difference. He could be the difference. Is he, is he good enough to get them to the next level? Um, and before they can do that, they have to get past Western Michigan, which is a team that has been real solid all season long, 25, 11 and one for them. They did lose the NCHC championship game against Minnesota Duluth, but they played real well in, in their game against North Dakota and managed to get past them. It seemed it wasn't it seemed kind of easy for them, but you know, that was kind of interesting to watch that whole thing transpire. So uh very interested to see what they're able to accomplish under first year head coach Pat Fershweiler. This is actually two first year head coaches as Jerry Keefe is the head coach of Northeastern in his first year as the head coach. So two guys that were assistants at the program and now have really brought it to another level. Uh, we're looking at some of the better two-way defensemen in the country in this game. You've got Jordan Harris for Northeastern, Ronnie Adderd for Western Michigan. Ethan Frank on Western is the leading goal scorer and should have an NHL contract as soon as his season is over um, as an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, So he plays with pace and you know, that's just where you, you start to see there's a lot of players in this tournament that, that can be difference makers. And I think this one really will come down to can Brandon Bussey, the goaltender for Western Michigan, at least match, not really necessarily match, but play adequately enough to, to go head-to-head with Devin Levi and give his team a chance in this game because goals are going to be hard to come by on both sides. I think Western has a little bit more of a harder element to them, but Northeastern has a lot of skill. They've got Aiden McDonough, who's one of the top goal scorers in the country. They've got Jack Hughes, who's a top draft draft prospect for 2022 and a real intri- intriguing uh, individual. You know, there there are other players there as well. Like Sam Colangelo is having a really strong season, kind of unheralded, um, uh, given the fact that you've got, you know, Aiden McDonough doing what he's doing and Devin Levi doing what he's doing and Jordan Harris being so highly respected. But, but Sam Colangelo has had a heck of a year and has made a big difference for this team. So I'd say that that's another thing to keep a close eye on between these two. Um, but I do have Western squeaking one out. I just think that their their experience, their depth, and their heaviness is going to make a difference here, and they're going to be able to get to the inside on Northeastern a little bit more, and that's going to challenge Levi just enough. And then I do think Brandon Bussey has the goods to keep his team in the game. He made some sensational saves um, in that NCHC frozen faceoff. And, uh, and he's, you know, so he's coming in pretty hot right now, which is, which is good for, for Western Michigan in the other game, it'll be Minnesota versus UMass. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the matchup of the first round. I think these are two outstanding teams. UMass has, uh, you know, they won the hockey East playoff championship. They were a goal away from winning the hockey East regular season championship, and they've got one of the best Hobie Baker candidates and Bobby Trevino, who has helped this team at this stage before. He has, was the most outstanding player at last year's Frozen Four. He was exceptional in that event um, and certainly exceptional throughout last postseason. He scored plenty of big goals this year and has a real legitimate shot at being the Hobie Baker. He beat out Devin Levi for Hockey East Player of the Year, and it'll be real interesting to see how the Hobie Committee views that as they look at potentially, uh, you know, it, does Levi have enough? And, and the voting is already done, so we won't know until 
the the Friday of the Frozen Four, who wins the Hobie Baker. But Bobby Trevino has an outstanding chance as a senior who came back despite there being NHL interest in him last year, um, and he'll be a top college free agent this offseason. So they're you know as soon as the season is over. But then you look at the other side and you say Minnesota, and I think that there's a real depth difference here, and Minnesota has it, um, has the advantage, even though UMass has so much skill throughout their lineup. Um, you've got Ben Myers at the top, top college free agent, Hobie Baker top 10, play driver, two-way center, just so difficult to play against. Um, I like the decor for Minnesota quite a bit. Brock Faber is going to play a ton of minutes. Jackson Lacombe really moves pucks well. Ryan Johnson is good defensively. Um, you know, that's a tough team to play against. What? But, but you look at the goaltending situation, I think that could really be where things get crazy. Um, you've got Justin Close, who is a, a walk-on for Minnesota, who's came in for Jack LaFontaine and, and has managed to play really well uh, in that role. And then you've also got, on the other side, Matt Murray, who had to win a game for UMass in the national tournament last year. Um, at the at the Frozen Four, the semifinal, because Philly Lindbergh had a had a, a close contact or some you know COVID protocol situation, and he wasn't able to arrive until the actual championship game. So you have to figure that Matt Murray is going to be hungry for this one, and he'll he'll play very well. Um, but I think in the end, Minnesota to me just has the depth and the skill level that will win out in this one. And I think UMass has been one of the best programs in the country. It's very difficult to pick against them at any point, but they have been a little inconsistent this year. And I think that, you know, for me, Minnesota, the big 10 regular season champions, um, I I've seen them up close a couple times this season when they are at the top of their game, when you've got guys like Matthew Nye, Sammy Walker, um, you, you know, Blake McLaughlin, Bryce Brodzinski, Jackson Nelson. I mean, if you can get contributions from throughout your lineup, you're gonna have a real good uh, good opportunity to win. So I, I've got Minnesota winning that one, and I have Minnesota coming out of the regional, going to Boston as a two seed, and winning in that one. So I, I've got that. That's I got Minnesota over UMass. Very tough to pick against the Minutemen, who have been to the last two national championship games that were held. Uh, but I do think Minnesota has a team this year that is capable of going on a deep run. It's really gonna come down to can Justin Close come up big for them. Uh, he's played well in the absence of Jack LaFontaine. So that will be very fun to track. All right. Now we come down to Allentown. And this is where number one overall seed Michigan will be playing American International, AIC, the Atlantic Hockey Champions. AIC has been a really good team. They've got an NHL draft pick in net and Jake Kucharski. Um, they've got some veteran talent in, in the roster. They've, they've got guys that have played in the NCAA tournament. Very well coached team. Uh, just not really seeing how they're going to compete with uh, Michigan, which has put together one of the most loaded NHL prospect teams in the entire tournament. And that doesn't mean that Michigan uh, is going to run roughshod over the tournament, but I do think in this game they are going to have their way with AIC, even though the AIC is older and they'll play gritty and it'll be a tougher game than maybe Michigan's expecting. But that one is at 3 p.m. on Friday on ESPNU. And Michigan, what more can you say? They've got Owen Power. They've got Matty Beneers. They've got Luke Hughes. They've got Kent Johnson. They've got... Uh, Brennan Bersan, they've got Johnny Beecher, they've got you know Thomas Bordalo, they've got all of these players, uh, Eric Portillo, all of these players that are NHL draft picks, guys that are going to have NHL careers, guys that are going to be great, you know, have been great college players. Um, and you look at that decor, you know, I went and saw Michigan play Minnesota in the Big Ten championship game. This is a road game. It was a sold-out crowd, hostile environment, 
crazy atmosphere. Michigan absolutely dominated that game. They dominated the, the possession metrics. They were great on the power play. They made it hurt. You know, every time they had a chance to to really capitalize on on the mistakes that Minnesota made, and they dominated that game. And the game, the scoreline ends up looking close. It was four three the final, but it was really four one. Um, in the closing minutes, and then Matthew Nye scored two goals with the empty attacker out. So Minnesota came dangerously close uh, to making it a game there, but they just kind of ran out of time at the end. But the thing that really stood out to me is until that last little stretch there where Minnesota was able to get back in the game, Michigan was so good down low in their own zone. They were winning board battles. They were not allowing Minnesota to get to the middle of the ice, and they were playing with such precision and skill that – it, they were able to capitalize on anything that Minnesota tried to do. And so that was really impressive to me is that this is a team that, that had all the reasons to, you know, falter in that game, playing in a hostile environment, being on the road, doing, you know, all the expectations that have heaped up on them and they just dominated. Um, and so I do think that that's going to be the case in this game against AIC. Um, no offense to, to the Yellow Jackets, but I just think that Michigan has the better hockey club. On the other side of that regional will be Quinnipiac versus St. Cloud State in a really good matchup and one where it's going to basically be, you know, prove it time for Quinnipiac. They ended up losing the ECAC championship game in overtime. They were really good in that game. Yaniv Peretz has given them a chance in every game he plays. He's got a 948 save percentage um, and, and a, a goals against average under one. Um, he's only seeing about 18 to 19 shots per game on average. And so that is telling me that Quinnipiac is a dominant possession team, which is true. They, they, they're really good offensively. They've got guys like Ty Smolanek, Skylar Brindamore, Wyatt Bongiovanni, um, Zach Metza, who's one of the best puck-moving defensemen out there and a guy that I think will get an NHL contract after this season is over. Um, you know, He can take over shifts all on his own on the back end, and he's got such tremendous hockey sense. And so that's going to be a real challenge. But St. Cloud State has experience on their side. They went to the Frozen Four last year, played for the national title, got dominated in that national title game, but they've got some hunger and they've got some veteran talent. Nick Perbix has averaged over a point per game this year, played in the Olympics for, for Team USA. Um, you know, Really good on defense. They've got veteran talent up front. Um, and then they've got, you know, David Rennick, if he's available, he's been, uh, he's still day to day. We're not sure if he's going to play, but if they can have their fifth year senior goaltender, they have a real opportunity here to, uh, potentially make, uh, make something happen. So, uh, we will have to wait and see what exactly, um, happens for them. So, uh, in that game, but I do think that St. Cloud's got a good chance. However, I am going to go ahead and pick Quinnipiac in this game because I think that the way that they play, it can really suffocate a team that doesn't always click well offensively. And St. Cloud State, while they have good skill and while they have good offensive players like Sam Hentges and Vidi Mietnin and a host of others, they don't have necessarily that consistency where game in, game out, you can expect them to make to, to, to get the goals. And Quinnipiac is just going to make it so difficult to score against them that I think ultimately they outlast uh, St. Cloud State and earn the victory there. So that brings us to the the regional final. I've got Michigan going through uh, the number one overall seed. I think that their offensive game and their ability to get into into the inside is going to challenge Quinnipiac, and that is why I will pick the Wolverines to move on to Boston. So the Frozen Four for me: Michigan, Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth and Minnesota State. So you've got three Minnesota schools in there once again, as we had last season. Um, two of the same teams that we had last season. 
but it's going to be a war. I think this is one of the most evenly matched up national tournaments that we've had in a long time. I think that the 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 group that we have going through is going to give us a great a great showcase of what college hockey is all about. And I personally can't wait to follow it. So I'll be hopping on a plane on Thursday to get back and make sure I'm in place to, to watch. I'll, I'll miss a little bit of the first game, but I'm, I'll be in place to watch some of those other ones. And uh, really excited to see kind of what comes out of these next couple of days um, at the national tournament. But I did get some questions from listeners uh, about the tournament, and there were some real good ones. So I wanted to turn it over to them. And and I'll, I'm saving my Frozen Four and national championship uh the selections uh, until the end of the show so hopefully you'll hang out and listen all the way there although I think I did a pretty comprehensive overview of what we got going on right now but going back to uh, the questions and I'm just pulling them up here because we got quite a few and some real good ones the first one um, comes from Joel Stoneham if you had to pick a one, a two, a three, and a four seed to make the Frozen Four based on the regionals, who would they be? And has that ever happened where one one of each regional rank has made it to the Frozen Four? Joel, I apologize. I didn't have time to research that second question. I'm not sure. So I'm going to say I'm not sure on that. But I think if you're looking, if you had to pick a one, a two, a three, and a four to make it based on the seeding, um, I've got Michigan as the one. Uh, I think they have the best opportunity of the of the one seeds. They are one overall, but you know there's certainly it wasn't by a, by a by an extensive margin. The number two, the top number two seed that I have, um, though I have two going through the national championship, um, is is Minnesota Duluth, um, and you know I think that that's a team that you know just because of their postseason success and the experience that they have, that's where you know I would be particularly nervous. Um, if I were one of those teams, as far as the, uh, the four or the three seeds, I think, uh, of the three seeds, I am UMass. I mean, really it, it, that's an easy call for me, even though I didn't have them winning their game. I, I think of the, th- the three seeds, they have the best opportunity to make it through. I wouldn't sleep on Notre Dame, but I do think that UMass has the better overall opportunity just because of the experience that they have. The fact that Bobby Trevino can take a game over the, the puck moving defense that they have. Um, I, I think that that's a team that really stands out. And then four, it's all about goaltending and Devin Levi. Northeastern's a four seed in this tournament. They are going to need Devin Levi to be the difference in their game, um, in, in their first regional game. And, and I think that that's, you know, he has the potential to steal that one. Um, I didn't pick them to win that one, but I, I do have, uh, I do think that he has a real opportunity to steal that game away. And uh, it'd be real interesting to see, uh, if they could do that, because um, if your goaltender gets hot at the right time, that can make all the difference of the world in, in the postseason. We've seen it time and time again, and Devin Levi absolutely has game-stealing potential. All right, moving on to our next question. There are phenomenal 2-3 matchups this year. Would love to hear your breakdown on those games in which you see as being the most prone to a letdown. And this one comes from at Hawks 35 All right, well... In terms of a letdown, the two three games, you're right. They're very they're very good. Um, you know, I think the uh, potential letdown game, you know, could be. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I, I guess I would have to say that Minnesota Duluth Michigan Tech game. I don't think it's going to be a particularly thrilling hockey game. I do think that Minnesota Duluth will be 
able to get through that. Um, you know, I think Quinnipiac, in terms of teams, Quinnipiac is at risk. You know, they just don't have that strength of schedule. Um, they did have some wins over over non-conference opponents that were pretty significant, but don't have a huge strength of schedule there. So I, I would definitely be concerned about, you know, as far as team letdown, perhaps them going against that veteran group from St. Cloud State um, in a 2-3 matchup. But, but I really think, you know, Minnesota, Duluth, and Michigan Tech, um, Duluth is just so good uh, that, you know, I, I think that they could really suffocate that game pretty quickly and, and move on. But that'll be that'll be an interesting one. But thank you for your question at Hawks 35 uh, This next one comes from ODA, and this is marginally about the tournament, but more about Luke Hughes. If Michigan wins the tournament, would that increase the likelihood that Luke Hughes makes the jump to the NHL? Does he have anything left to accomplish? Uh, really good question. I think that certainly could be a factor. Um, I think the most important factor has to be for both Luke Hughes and the Devils is, is he ready? Is he ready to step into the lineup next season? Um, I'd say he's close, but I'm going to maintain, even though the exceptional season that he's had next year, when Owen Power is gone, when some of their other players are gone, he's going to have an opportunity to really step up and stand out even more uh, because he'll be such an important piece of that team. And I think that may be a better better for his professional development than turning pro right away. Now, I think that everything will be considered, but you look at the track record of the players that have stayed for two years, including his own brother, who was able to jump into the NHL and be an impact rookie um, to see Mikhail McCarr do it, to see Zach Wierenski do it. As exciting as it is, I think the Devils need to remain patient. They need to respect whatever timeline Luke feels that he's on as well because we don't know exactly if he's like, hey, I'm ready to go. If he feels like he's ready to go, then he's probably going to go. Um, but I, So I, I think that in the end it still has to come down to what is the right decision for his development, and that's what we don't necessarily know yet. All right, next one is from Hockey Therapy 13. Which regional is the overall toughest in regards to any team having the chance to come out of it? My thought is Albany, but it's always hard to say. It is hard to say, but I would agree. I think Albany is the one where it can be really difficult because you've got four teams. I think any one of them has a chance to go on a run here. Minnesota State's going to be really difficult to get past, but North Dakota and Notre Dame are real tough teams that play similar styles that could potentially you know, give Minnesota State a hard time. Harvard's got such skill and scoring ability that maybe you know if their goaltender Mitchell Gibson gets hot, then maybe they get get a chance to, to go on a run there and, and, and just outscore their problems and and that could be interesting, but uh, but I think that that's, that that Albany one is really the meat grinder. It's the one that's going to be uh, whoever comes out of it may be a little bit battered um, because I think it's going to be physical. I think it's going to be just uh, an all-out war to get out of there. Um, but you know, ultimately, I did choose Minnesota State to come out of it because I think that they probably are, are the strongest overall team at this point. But that's a, that's a great question there from Hockey Therapy. Much appreciated. Uh, Ski you Ra, this sounds like a biased question. Who will win the tournament and why is it the Gophers? Well, I do think that Minnesota has a chance um, in this game. And, and certainly I think if you're, you're looking, it's the 101st season of Minnesota high, hockey at the collegiate level. And, um, you know, having seen them get humbled a bit by Minnesota or Michigan in the Big Ten championship game, that can sometimes be a real motivator for a team. It can really sharpen them um, as opposed to force them to lose confidence. And it, it's a tough game. This, this game is a real tough game to to, to get through. And, um, you know, I think that, that the way that Minnesota is set up, they have a little bit more of a layered attack 
that can really help them. Goaltending is the big question mark. We don't know what Justin Close is going to look like in this situation. It's asking a lot of him. Um, but, you know, he's played really well this season. They have no reason to doubt his abilities. So I think that that's another thing that we won't know until the tournament actually happens. So that'll be interesting to see kind of where that all ends up going. But uh, I'm fascinated by the Gophers, and I think that they have a real opportunity here. Ben Myers really is one of those difference-making players that, that you know, he could put a team on his back. And then you've got Nyes, uh, who's a great power forward. You know, is, is Chaz Lucius going to be healthy? It's still up in the air is you know is the defense going to hold up you know they've had some issues time to time defending but certainly Brock Faber Ryan Ryan Johnson Jackson Lacombe Ben Brinkman Mike Kester I mean they they have the pieces and then you you know this is all without mentioning guys like Sammy Walker who I'm just a huge fan of in terms of the way that he plays the game so uh, that is another thing that we will uh, be watching very closely as as it's fascinating to see where the Gophers are going to end up. All right, we've got some other questions that aren't necessarily tournament related, but are college hockey related, and we'll stick with the Gophers here, um, Gophers and the Harvard Crimson. This comes from Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, I've heard from Elliot Friedman and Chris Johnson that the Maple Leafs are going to sign Nick Abrazizi and Matthew Nyes after the NCAA tournament. Abrazizi makes sense, but Nyes seems like a surprise given he's only in his freshman year. Have you heard anything to support this? Well, it's interesting. I have heard um, I have heard that you know Toronto wants to assign both players, um, and I think in Abrazizi's case, you know he's played three years of college hockey, um, or sorry, two years of of college hockey. Uh, had that last season where he couldn't play. Um, you know he's closer to his degree. A lot of Harvard guys do decide to stay and finish it out, um, but I would think that uh, that 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 we're, we're going to have to wait a little bit to find out exactly, um, you know, what, what, what his process is. The thing about Nyes as well, I do think it's too early to sign him. Um, it's his decision. The Maple Leafs can sign him whenever they want. It's their prospect. Um, he is ahead of where I think any of us thought he would be by this point. I really liked him coming out of the draft last season, but I still had him as a second-round prospect. That's where he ends up going. I think it was a great pick. He looks more like a first-round caliber talent now, but does this mean that he is ready for the NHL? I don't think he's ready to jump into the league yet. And he, he's he been very, very good in college hockey. He has not yet dominated. And I don't think if you're the Maple Leafs, you don't ever want to be in a situation where you have to sign a prospect. You want to be in a situation where... It is the right decision for both you, your organization, and that player to sign. Nice is in a place right now where he is going to be relied on, where he is going to be a top-line player, where he is going to be an exceptional talent for them, where he is going to have all of the tools needed to develop. He'll be able to play you know, more and, and just keep moving forward. But... You know, he was a late birth date, which also is a factor, you know, so he's a little bit, you know, ahead of where most players in his draft class would be developmentally. He has the frame to support, you know, to, to and the strength to play at the pro level. He was very good at the Olympics, but I still think that his, if, if you give him one more year to be sure, I think it's a lot better because I don't think Matt Nyes is going to play for you in the playoffs this year. I think he could help, but, but not to the degree that you would need him to. Um, he's a big body, he's strong, all those things. 
he's not going to help you. Same with Nick Abrazizi. He's not going to help you in the playoffs this year. He's a very talented player, high-end skill, high-end vision, really good you know, puck work, but he's not going to help you in this particular year. So that's another thing that, that I think we'll have to wait and see a little bit further. Um, but that is that is very interesting that you know that they want to sign him that soon. Um, but I have heard that that is is something they want to do. It's really going to be up to Matt and, and Nick uh, to say, hey, yeah, we're ready to do that. So uh, the next question is about college free agency, uh, and this comes from at like the Royals. There are still a ton of names on your free agent board that haven't signed, but have there been any performances in conference play from free agents that could warrant a contract or a PTO? Um, I would say, you know, obviously my list wasn't comprehensive. I had a top 10 plus some other guys to watch. It does sound like we're going to have a couple of guys that weren't on the list that do get signed. Um, one guy could be Akito Hiroshi from Minnesota State, who is, you know, played very well. I think he was even a little bit better last season, um, but he's he's a big time player. You know, a lot of the players that are on my list that haven't signed yet are still playing. So that's one of the reasons why they haven't signed. You know, Ben Myers, Bobby Trevino, certainly going to sign right away. Um, other guys, Jake Livingstone, not as sure. Uh, another guy that could be available that is no longer playing is Georgi Merkulov, who I did not have on my uh, on my list because he was a freshman and I didn't think he was coming out. But I've gotten some sourcing that says, hey, the teams are at least doing their due diligence on the event that he does come out. He's a Russian player, but has been in North America for the last three seasons. Um, you know, went to American University, which is an unusual step for a Russian player, but he was able to do that. And he had 20 goals this season for Ohio State and was a Big Ten, a first-team All-Big Ten. You consider all the players in the Big Ten there are to choose from. That's a pretty lofty uh, praise for him. He plays, you know, he's about 5'11". He's got a great shot. He's got good offensive instincts. He had a great season in the USHL last year. Um, and he's a 21-year-old freshman, so he's an older freshman uh, as well on top of that. So that's another guy to keep an eye out for. Um but yeah, but I, I'd say Hiroshi is another guy that just wasn't on the list. And then the others that, that were on the list that I fully expect to go um, will still be uh, prominent in that. Sticking with the college free agent talk, JBFaz1213 asks, how do undrafted free agents usually pick a team to sign with? Fit, opportunity, contract, went to a previous development camp, all or some of the above? It varies person to person. I think getting it, it's become very difficult to predict where a player is going to go. You look at there are several teams that seem to have it pretty locked down where they have really focused on recruiting. That's Los Angeles, Pittsburgh, Chicago, um, New York Rangers, uh, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota to a degree, Tampa Bay Lightning for sure. Um, they signed Declan Carlisle, who was a guy that I didn't have on my list, um, but is absolutely should have been. Um, so those are, those are kind of some of the things that, that I'm looking to see for them. But as far as what they're looking for, for the free agents, um, sometimes it does come down to opportunity. Is the team willing to burn that first year of the contract by playing them this season? And then that allows them to get to free agency sooner, which can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Brad Schlossman and I talked about that during our, our college free agent special is that some guys lose that extra year of runway and then they don't, when it comes time to get a qualifying offer, they don't get one because they haven't shown enough over the one year that they had. Um, and teams are going to cut bait pretty easily with players like that. Um, so that comes, you know, I think fit, you know, the the work on recruiting these players goes on all season. So, you know, there there could be a dinner between a scout and a player where, you know, they're, they're just talking shop and, and they're getting to know each other and they're building a relationship. 
So that also is a big factor, the relationship with the team. Sometimes that starts even sooner when they go to a player development camp. Um, it's It's been odd to me how rare it's been that players signed the same place they went to player development camp. Uh, but there have been some where that absolutely made a difference. Um, so that's another thing to to consider for the players is, you know, comfort. And, you know, is it close to home? Um, is it uh, the team that you grew up cheering for? You know, all those different things come into play. So I imagine it's it, you know, the thing that really doesn't matter is that often the best college free agents are going to get a max entry-level contract, so the money doesn't really make a difference. Um, sometimes it can. If a team's not willing to offer a max but another team is, then you go with the team that is typically. Um, but you also want to go to a place, I think, where you say, not only can I get this contract, but I can get my next contract. Um, and I think that that's one of the, the assurances that players want to have is like, not just about this, this contract now, is there a path for me to stay with this organization? Um, if, if I don't pan out as an NHL or will there be a spot for me on your NHL team? Will there be a, a, a favorable AHL contract down the line? Those are the types of things that they want to know about for sure. So there's a lot of different factors at play there, but that's one where, um, you know, it kind of varies person to person as, as, as most things do. All right, we're going to wrap up with a draft question. This one comes from Nick Villanueva. Uh, Highest offensive upside among notable defensemen in the 2022 class. How high could a defenseman be selected? Is Nemitz a fit for the Habs? Well, I think if 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 Montreal ends up with the number one pick, I think they'll take Shane Wright full stop. You know, I, I think that they want the center. Um, if they don't end up with the number one pick, there is an opportunity to potentially pick a defenseman. And I think there's a lot less consensus after one, two, three. You know, like it, really after there, there's no real consensus about the top right now. There are some teams that have you know this player, that player, and everybody else. But it, to answer your first question about upside, I think in terms of offensive upside. Um, Pavel Mintukov might actually have the most offensive upside of the defensemen in this draft. And I think that that's part of the, the complication of ranking these defensemen, because I think if you were looking at it big picture, you would say, okay, well, we've got Simon Nemitz, who's a, you know, six foot one right shot defenseman. He's putting up insane numbers this year. You know, we've got another six foot one left shot defenseman in Mintukov, who's having great, a great season, 49 points in 56 games, 13 goals. Um, he really likes to get inside. He can walk the blue line really well, um, moves pucks well. I think that his offensive skill set is is more advanced than any of the other players that we're talking about. So that's why I think, you know, in terms of offensive upside, he, he's the guy that I, I view as the best offensive defenseman. After that, David Juracek is really right there for me. Um, David Juracek, I think, has a better goal scoring ability i think he's got a better shot i think he moves pucks exceptionally well i like his mobility and then he's also bigger he's a six foot three right shot defenseman he's solidly built he plays physical he can defend um you know he, he's been injured for a good chunk of this season which has been really unfortunate because he has not played since the world junior championship and that has really, you know, that affects a player's draft stock. But this is a guy, he had 11 points, including five goals in 29 games in the Czech League. Um, you know, that doesn't stand out against the numbers that, you know, Simon Nemitz is putting up for his uh, for his team in the in Slovakia. You know, it's not necessarily easy to make that one-to-one comparison between the two guys, aside from the fact that they're right shot defensemen. But you look at the points here, 25 assists in 39 games, uh, and... Uh, it, it's it's just it's just amazing to to see that level of production. It's really never happened before. He does have one goal, 
Um, he had seven points in the in U18 competitions this year. He had one assist in the Olympics, one assist in the shortened World Juniors that you can't really even count. Those stats won't matter anymore. Um, but that's what Simon Nemitz has had. He has offensive upside. He moves pucks exceptionally well. He's highly intelligent. He he has good vision. He he stretches the ice extremely well, and and he does have good hand skills. So I think those three guys all have that possibility. If I were to rank them right now, it would probably be Juracek, Nemitz, you know, and, and I, I say Juracek, if, if you take away the injury, I think you move him down to third because of the injury concerns, how strongly he comes back. We know based on the body of work that he has, that he's very capable of being the best defenseman in this draft, that I'd go Nemitz and Mintukov in that order. And I think all three of them could end up going in the top 10. It's not out of the question that all three of them go in the top 10. I like all three of them very well, but I would say Juracek, I think to me has the the highest upside as the, as the NHL defenseman, because he does a little bit more of everything. Um, and then he does have, I think really high end offensive skill that doesn't get a chance to shine at the professional level. All right. I said it would be quick and dirty. This is quick and dirty. This is what we got. This is what we have to do. It's under an hour. I hope that's actually helpful for you because we usually go way over an hour and maybe you don't like that. But don't forget to leave a kind rating and review on the podcast on your app of choice, especially Apple Podcasts. really helps us move up the charts. Consider subscribing to HockeySense.Substack.com. That's HockeySense with Chris Peters. And you can uh, you know, get a monthly subscription, get a weekly sub- or a, a, a yearly subscription, whatever you choose. But it does support independent media, and it allows me to go to some of these events that I am able to travel to on behalf of Hockey Sense and Daily Faceoff and everything else. And um, so this helps me cover the trips that, that aren't covered by some of my other uh, outlets. So thank you so much for that. I hope you all enjoy the NCAA tournament. Oh, but wait, I almost forgot. You guys are going to catch me on that. You were probably going to say, well, what the heck, Chris? Where's our Frozen 4 picks? Well, if you stuck around, I've got them for you now. Uh, I do have... Uh, for the Frozen Four, my final picks, my final predictions for the Frozen Four. As you already know, I picked the teams that will be going there. Michigan, Minnesota Duluth, uh, Minnesota, and Minnesota State. I've got Michigan playing Minnesota in the national championship game and Michigan winning it. I think they've been the top team. They've proven it. They're playing some of their best hockey right now. They're as healthy as they've been all season. That looks like a team that is going to be difficult to beat. So if you stuck around through my fake goodbye, which wasn't fake, I was I literally almost forgot to do this. Um, thank you. And also, sorry for the faker, but I don't have time to edit this podcast, so I had to go really fast. But thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. We will be back next week to recap the regionals and talk about a whole lot more, including the CHL Top Prospects game and talk NHL draft when we return. So I'll be back next week. My name's Chris. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time. We'll